0: And on Your Life Choices with John Deeks, joined by Leon Dullabuska, the publisher of Your Life Choices. It's my great pleasure to head across to the U.S. and in New York, Ashton Applewhite is on the line, one of the world's most foremost authorities on ageism and the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism. And in between advocating for the rights of older people, doing TED Talks, wait for it, presenting at the United Nations, and working with Australia's own ageism advocates, Every Age Counts, uh, Ashton has a myriad of public appearances. She's found time to talk to us today, which is fabulous. And let's find out what a world would be like without ageism. And uh, I'm very excited to have Ashton on the line now. Welcome to Australia, Ashton.
1: Thank you, thank you. I wish I were in Australia.
0: Have you been here before?
1: I spent a month there. Exactly a year ago, Every Age Count brought me over for a national tour. In fact, I will reach in a very professional manner for the tote bag. I got my very (laughs) own tote bag that says Ashton Applewhite Australian Tour 2009. Hobart, Canberra, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, Fremantle, and then back to Sydney.
0: You had two jackets almost.
1: I had swag.
0: You are the rock star (laughs) of ageism. And can I just say, before we go any further, I've just watched the most wonderful video and encourage everybody to jump online, have a look at YouTube, and Ashton Applewhite talking about, or talking on the Library of Congress, an induction,
1: was it? (laughs) Uh, I can't remember why they had me.
0: Well, they had you there because you're a superstar. And uh, just a couple of things that came out of it. And before we get into our questions, Leon, (laughs) but uh, at the Library of Congress, they mentioned that you were the first person to ever hold four of the top 15 spots on the New York Times bestseller list. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Uh, You want to hear the rest of the story? Go for it. Well, it never occurred to me that the Librarian of Congress would do his homework in the way he did and beat me to the punch because I was gonna talk about um how it what a pleasure it was, which it genuinely was and an honor to be speaking at the Library of Congress, but about my not very august Um, introduction to publishing, which was that I did indeed have, uh, was the first person to have four books on the New York Times bestseller list, but it was as the author under a pseudonym of the Truly Tasteless Joke Books series. That's
0: right.
1: Right. My my nom de plume was Blanche (laughs) Knott, and the publishing uh, deities were so appalled by this that I am the reason that the new york times created the advice miscellaneous, and how to section so that works <laughs> of this caliber would not sully oh that's the right. main, they, they they created a whole
0: section just for you
1: <laughs> well just to get me sort of out of the parlor and into the you know back quarter so
0: what was the book garbage and new jersey girls or something like that what was uh, that?
1: the original title was what's the difference between garbage and a girl from new jersey
0: Oh, okay. And the
1: punchline is garbage gets picked up. Oh! Oh! Yeah, wait for it. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs>
0: well, let's get down to the serious stuff right now.
1: <laughs> Do we have to?
0: Leon. This yes, is no, no, fantastic. No, no. No, we're having...
1: One more brag?
0: Go, please.
1: The first book, it turned into a series, was the best-selling paperback of 1985, and I was a clue on Jeopardy. Oh, my you gosh. Know you Jeopardy? know you've made sure. it.
2: You know you've made it. Yeah.
1: I, I was so – my I don't, didn't watch Jeopardy. My son watches Jeopardy now. But my phone rang was in the days of landlines, and yeah. all their friends had called them to say, Ashton, with a clue on Jeopardy? Who is the author of Truly Tasteless Jokes? Oh. And the answer was, um, who is Blanche Knott?
0: Oh, there you go. Well, Alex Trebek, uh, uh, rest in peace. Um, now- rest in peace. Absolutely. So, Leon, our first serious question. We're having far too much fun. Oh, well, let's get serious, Ashton. Let's get serious. <clears throat> go for your life.
2: Ashton, some, thanks so much for joining us. As you know, I'm a big fan of your work. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed the uh, Every Age Counts webinar that you and Jane did the other day as well. That was just such fantastic work. And I was just talking to John about how how beautifully you uh, frame ageism and and how it's sort of affecting older people nowadays but also just how ageism works in general and one of the things I really learned from the webinar was the you know the the unconscious ageism that the ingrained ageism or the benign ageism and um, I mean so much of ageism today is is ingrained in in the way society thinks and the way we behave and and as you said, our attitudes towards ageism may be a little bit more enlightened, but the follow through, not so much. So I think one of the questions I sort of want, I wanted to ask you is, could you sort of take us through, you know, explain what is benign ageism and unconscious bias and, and maybe list some of the more common forms of benign ageism?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. Th- those are two distinct things. Stereotypes can be malicious. And when it comes to older people, a typical one would be that we are incompetent, or we're boring, or we don't like to learn new things. They can also be benign, as in you know, sort of sweetie or dearie or patronizing, or even, to my mind, the stereotype of the wise elder, which which I um, am not crazy about because I think well. Many older people are wise. Many others don't seem to have learned much along the way. <laughs> and many children are wise. So a stereotype can have good intentions, just like you look great for your age. Someone says that, intended as a compliment, it doesn't actually come across as one. So stereotypes, even if they are intended to flatter, are not our friends. And You know, all prejudice is based in stereotyping. All stereotyping is foolish and ill-informed, but especially when it comes to older people, because the longer we live, the more different from one another we become. Think about that. Think about about your high school reunion, you know, going out. Every child is unique, but 17-year-olds have a lot more in common than 37-year-olds who are way more homogenous than 57-year-olds and so on. Just because life experiences, social experiences, physical exchanges, experiences, all those things render us more different from each other. So the older the person, the less their age, says about them. Most bias is unconscious because we don't want to admit that we're biased. Mm. And when it comes to ageism, you know, that's it's just human. We're all biased. We're all racist. know, we're all ageist, we all have prejudices about people who are, you know, different from us or whom we think are different from us. And acknowledging that fact is the hardest and most unpleasant fact of all. But I promise it gets much better from there. Because the minute you think about your own attitudes towards aging, and realize how many of these ideas, negative ideas, we have all incorporated into our thinking, then you start to see them in the world around you. Yeah. And that is very liberating. You're like, oh, it's not my fault that I somehow allowed myself to get wrinkles. The problem is social and economic. The problem is that I live in a society that discriminates against me on that basis.
2: It's interesting you say um, that, Ashton. I did, a, I did the Harvard, is it the young old test, I think it's called? Uh-huh. Um, the
1: implicit, <clears throat> there's a set of implicit biases. Test. Yeah, and one of them is on ageism. Give me what
2: was one question. All right. So the way the test works, John, is it's a computer test. You have your fingers on an E and an I button and an, Im- an image comes up and in the corners of your screen is one says young, one says old, and you hit the, the left key for young or the right key for old. When an image of a person who is older is flashed up on the screen, you hit old. If they're younger, you hit young. The next stage is young, good, old, bad on the two corners and you hit the buttons according to the images that flash up. They're the same images that flash up over and over again. Mm. The only thing that changes is the words in the corner. And then they swap over to good, old, uh, young, bad. Anyway, the way that the test works is is I think, Ashton, and correct me if I'm wrong, it assesses how quickly you hit the buttons when the images flashed up Ah. and you do that. So here's me, worked in um, Your Life Choices for, for just over six years now, I'd like to think I'm a, a, an advocate for older people. Uh, I think I think that comes across in my work. Feeling like consciously that I feel the same about older people as I do about younger people mm. and yet I did this test and it told me that I have an unconscious bias. Do I tend to prefer younger people because of the, my, my, my reaction times when these words are coming up. And so what Ashton, you know, you're saying that there is just that unconscious or benign bias. age bias towards... Younger people or older people. Is the world getting better or worse with that, Ashton?
1: The world is getting more aware of yeah. it. I just want to say, good for you for taking the test and for acknowledging it. I came out as slightly aged too, even after all the work I have done. We live in a culture God, that garages us with negative messages <laughs> about age and aging. And unless we stop to challenge them, they become part of our identity. And we can't confront or overcome bias unless we're aware of it. So you have undertaken the first, hardest, most necessary task. Okay. One of my many pet peeves is the way any discussion of aging is immediately sort of accompanied by hand-wringing or hideous, you know, gray tsunami metaphors. And one thing you heard a lot in this very difficult year was that COVID had made ageism worse. I don't think it's made ageism worse. I am quite positive it has not. I think it has exposed the ageism all around us and brought it into the public eye, the shocking neglect of older people in nursing homes being perhaps the most shocking example, the um, abandonment also of the people who care for older people in institutions because a society that doesn't value older people doesn't value the people who care for us and so on. So it is my firm opinion that it is public awareness and outrage about these inequities that are on the rise. And I think that's giving us a historic and unprecedented opportunity to build on that awareness.
0: Ashton, people are living longer and staying healthier longer. Gone are the days of the typical stereotypical retirement. Is the word retirement still relevant?
1: I uh, think it is largely irrelevant uh, in a good way. I mean, I would say it is under renovation. (laughs) The fact is that, um, you know, people are living longer everywhere in the world. The old silo of, you know, first you went to school and then you had kids and um, worked really hard at your career. And then in the last third, you retired is completely obsolete, both because people are living longer and because of macroeconomic trends. People don't, you know, have secure jobs lifelong, and people in, in lower income uh, jobs never had that job security. And now our children, I am 68, dead center in the baby boom, my kids and your kids never had that security. So these it's really important, really important to avoid old versus young framing you know, uh, it's a myth, for example, that old people take jobs away from younger ones. We don't typically compete for the same jobs and the amount and nature of labor is not fixed. So these trends are going to, um, you know, persist just like population it is a population aging. It is a permanent global demographic trend and the ways in which we educated ourselves and supported ourselves are obsolete. You don't train to do one thing, especially in a factory, you know, which is what the American education system was set up for. We all need to keep relearning new things and keep, even if you find the one thing you want to do, you have to keep getting, you know, trained in it and learning more. So everything about our education system and the notion of retirement um, needs to be revisited with an idea to economic and professional security all along the lifespan for all ages.
2: That's right. I mean, changing the mindset towards retirement is one of our sort of daily challenges. You would probably be facing the challenge daily too about how to change the mindset uh, towards, well, age discrimination towards aging. How do we challenge these, you were saying before we we need to challenge the unconscious bias. How do we do that, Ashton? Is there is there like some simple rules you could give that that, that help us challenge this bias or, the, or or challenge our attitudes towards aging?
1: Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. And you know, and when it comes to the workforce, there are tons of studies that show that diverse workplaces um, are, are better to work in. That diverse companies are more profitable. So one thing we can all do is when you are at a meeting and there's no older faces. Ask why not when you're just having a diversity and inclusion discussion with the HR department. Is age on the table? So ask why not. You know, because I will tell you, no one, no one says that's a stupid idea. They say why not. And you know, not one of the stereotypes, the negative stereotypes about older workers, holds up under scrutiny. And we know that age diverse teams uh, are especially valuable in creative endeavors. And, you know, and also the strengths and weaknesses of older and younger workers, although, of course, it's really problematic to treat either one as a homogenous group, compensate each other. You know, for example, in the old days of, you know, factory labor, if an older person hurt themselves on the job, we take longer to heal, but we hurt ourselves less often. Mm. You know, just as an example, it's always mixed mixed across across race, across class, across gender, across age gives you a better product and a better team. You know, as to what we can do ourselves, again, the first thing we need to do is to look at our own attitudes. Um, I did, you did kindly reference my book. It is available in Australia and it's very inexpensive in a um, in, in the electronic edition as well. And I promise, I guarantee it will make you feel differently and way better about the years ahead because you'll see yes, you are part of the problem in that you are biased, but that bias is fed by social and economic forces that we can come together and do something about. Look at the women's movement, right? Think of what that did to shift the way we think about the voice and role of women around the world. A grassroots movement to end ageism is underway, and it is such a pleasure to be able to say, that Australia is leading the way with its Every Age Counts campaign. I used to laugh about it when I was speaking because I would feel like a shill. They brought me over. Suppose it had been this incredibly well-designed, orchestrated campaign. It truly is. It is. So you Australians have a homegrown boilerplate of all sorts of things you can do. I also want to mention a website called Old School. The website, the the URL is Old School. And it is a clearinghouse of free, vetted, anti-ageism resources. Everything is free Mm. except the books. You can find the Every Age Counts campaign there. There's a whole campaign section, which is clear evidence that a global movement is underway. You can find the Harvard Implicit Bias Test. You can find speakers. You can find a downloadable free guide to starting a consciousness raising group around age bias consciousness raising was the tool that catalyzed it's called who me who me ages or search you know search for consciousness (laughs) that's the tool that catalyzed the women's movement because women came together and compared notes and realized that what they had been thinking of as personal problems getting harassed not getting hired not being respected were actually widely shared political problems that again we could come together and do something about. So, so that's you know, noodle around old school. Consider starting a consciousness raising group, or just think think about your own language. It's a good starting place. How do you use the words old and young? That's right. Do you say I'm too old for that? You're probably too smart for it, or maybe too lazy for it. But age doesn't often have actually all that much to do with it.
2: It's um, Ashton. This is this is we're talking now about ageist, ageist attitudes towards older people. But I think one of the things that I also learned the other day was that the attitudes towards older people are obviously harmful. But just as harmful are those ageist attitudes that people hold towards themselves.
1: That is what internalized bias is. Mm. Yeah, mm. ageism is the least examined prejudice. Uh, which is changing fast, there's an analogy that I like that you can tie a baby elephant up with a clothesline and the same rope will do the job when the elephant is the size of a truck because we don't test those assumptions. They are baked into our sense of the world. And it is why, like the elephant, we stay tethered and are complicit, which is a, a loaded word, but it's true in our own silencing and marginalization, which is why it is so liberating. It's painful, that first step. You know, I'm sure you didn't feel great after taking that Harvard bias test. Neither did I. But then there's this moment, like, which I think is genuinely liberating. There's Mm. a, a phrase, cognitive liberation, for when you realize, like, oh, there are larger forces at work. The fault is not mine. The fault is in a society that pits us against each other. That exploits our insecurities, that frames aging as a problem and a disease when it is in fact a lifelong process. It's not just something annoying that old people do that enriches us and that unites. It's the one shared human experience. You know, it's a source of, it's a source of loss. And, you know, I'm not a Pollyanna. It's really important to acknowledge both sides of it. But in an ageist world, all we hear is the loss. And the, and the fear, and it's not that our fears aren't legitimate. It's that they are way out of proportion.
0: Ashton, what drove you towards this particular point in your life to, uh, to, to become so involved in ageism?
1: I stopped being young. <laughs> <It's> hideous. <laughs> now, you're not being biased now, are you? <laughs> well, you know, I, I am kind of a bull by the horns kind of person. And I was in my mid-50s, and I, you know, realized that I was afraid of getting older. I'm not, a, I'm not a scholar, but I am a sort of thinky person, and I started noodling around and learning about longevity. And in a matter of—it was probably months, not weeks, but it was not long—I was bowled over by how much of what I thought I knew— about what it would be like to be really old was off base or flat out wrong, not nuanced enough or just way too negative. They are the facts that I started my TED talk out with a decade later. Mm. Uh, You know, for example, I thought the odds of ending up in a nursing home were pretty darn good. At the time of the talk, which was only four years ago, three or four years ago, the percentage of Americans over 65 in nursing homes was 4%. It is since down to 2.5%. And, oh. and I think COVID is going to make that number drop even lower. And it's quite low in Australia as well. I'm sorry I don't know the exact percentage point. Again, you know, no one wants to end up in a horrible nursing home, but our fears are out of proportion to the reality. Uh, you know, uh, people are happiest at the beginnings and the end. Of their lives. It's called the U-curve of happiness. That's right. Google it.
0: Yeah. Are things going to get easier with the new administration coming in, Ashton?
1: I hope so. You know, I think we need a cabinet person to deal with issues of age and age equity the way we need someone to deal with issues of climate change. They uh, need Ashton I,
0: Applewhite there. That's what they need. That's exactly what
1: they oh, need. Oh, I'm not patient enough to go to all <laughs> those meetings. But-
2: <laughs> I could see you on Capitol but- Hill. We're lucky in Australia we do have a Minister for Aging.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, we don't. And, you know, they need to, when we don't really have a champion for aging issues on Capitol Hill at all. And, uh, you know, so I'd like to be brought in and, and um, you know, yell at everyone, but then I'd like to go make others attend all the meetings. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's shocking how much age itself is missing from the conversation. There are real challenges associated with ramping up the support that an older population will need. Sure. But no one talks about the incredible opportunity of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, more healthy, well-educated adults than ever before in human history who, as you say, are not retiring.
2: It's a great resource which is not being utilised. We need to change the narrative exactly. from sex cells to age cells. Exactly. You've got one more question, Leon. Do you really believe... There could be a world without ageism.
1: You know, what has become clearer to me in this summer of COVID and of Black Lives Matter protests, which were so brilliantly supported all around the world and Australia as well, was that being anti-ageist means supporting every other struggle for justice. Mm -hmm. We are not going to end ageism without also addressing racism. Also, very powerful component is ableism, prejudice against people with disabilities. Uh, Women, there are more older women. We live longer. We do most of the caregiving. Sexism is a big part of it. So, you know, just as all these prejudices and identities compound in the lives of people and make them more difficult, activism is intersectional too that idea is called intersectionality the idea that these different forms of prejudice reinforce and compound each other and are visible in each individual life in a unique way but when we chip away at the fear and ignorance that underlies any prejudice we chip away at them all so i think that you know we are more we are instantly more aware of of racism i I fervently hope that we are going to stick to um, – wait, I don't want to say stick to our guns as an American because I sure wish we didn't have so many guns in America. Mm. But I hope we are going to act in anti-racist ways, not just do lip service against racism, also against ageism, join join forces. My new talk is all about um Addressing ageism and its intersection with ableism, and join forces. There's a fantastic disability mm. justice movement in the United States where people say, "I am who I am because of my disability." We need to acknowledge that we are who we are, not despite our many years, but because of them.
0: And, and what what do they what do what what is their uh, they, they say about us? Who, uh, who nothing I-
1: about us without us.
0: Yeah, that's right, quite right.
1: Which is like, you know, Jane Carrow, you referenced that wonderful webinar, and she says, I think everyone um, just wants to be respected, just wants yeah, to be listened right.
0: to. that's true. Black, white, And, and it
1: is that basic. No matter how old you are, what colour you are, uh, you know, we each want to be heard regardless of the things about ourselves that we cannot change. So I think that the whole planet is poised Uh, at an an unprecedented um, time of potential for social justice. But I think we have to join forces against all these prejudices and not prioritize one over another. I want people to understand that ageism is not just some abstract social or economic threat. Attitudes towards aging affect how our minds and bodies function at the cellular level. And This is usually framed as people with more positive feelings towards aging. I like to say people with fact rather than fear-based attitudes towards aging fare better because this is fact, this is science. They walk faster. They are more likely to heal quickly from an injury or even severe disability. They live longer, an average of seven and a half years longer, and they are less likely to develop Alzheimer's even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease. The theory is that these fact-based attitudes, right? Because instead of believing all these, you know, the fear-based stereotypes and fear-mongering that in the media, if you learn the actual facts, they reduce stress and buffer us from the effects of combating ageism, of living in an ageist world. So educate yourself about aging and you will be more healthy because you will be less aged.
0: Beautifully said, Ashton. Thank you so much. And it's, again, isn't that
1: amazing?
0: That's oh, so it's true, just yeah. it's, it's incredible. And um, I'm uh, I'm I'm nearly seventy, and I've got some of my friends who uh, who who just are, are growing old because they think they should be, and it's wrong.
1: Yeah, it's it's the whole it's called stereotype embodiment theory is exactly that, and and all this. If you want to mention, I don't thank you for pimping the book so generously. Um, I have been writing about this, thinking out loud on my blog, which is free. Thischairrocks.com is my website. And if you yourself, you know, search public health, search Levy, Becca Levy is the person who's done most of this research, search stereotype embodiment theory. That's exactly it. If you think shit's going to fall apart then and of course some of it does again i'm not it's not about happy talking and i have the right attitude everything's going to be fine no but if you ex- anticipate bad things and and connect them to age then when when things do happen you think oh it's inevitable because i'm the age i am which is why i put that old gag in my TED talk i stopped blaming my sore knee on being 60 i was 64 at the time because my other knee doesn't hurt and it's just as old <laughs> It's a perfect example, you know. (laughs)
0: Because my right knee hurts, you're right. My left knee
1: doesn't. Is it, you know, is it because you're a million years old or is it because you cooked dinner for 10 people or helped a friend move, you know? Sometimes it is age, but not very often.
0: Ashton, thank you so much for giving up uh, so much of your time. I know it's late uh, there in New York and we do appreciate it. Um, Sadly, it's going to be a little time till we see you back uh, on the shores of Australia or New Zealand.
1: I'm dying to go. I had a I had a speaking engagement in New Zealand in November, and I was going to spend some time there and visit. But let's hope that. Um there's a vaccine for all of us in the not-too-distant future um, and that not too many Americans kill themselves this Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> there is uh, there is uh, many ways to contact or uh, to witness uh, Ashton Applewhite's uh, manifesto. It's worthwhile getting onto the net. At least we can do that, uh, whether it be on the, the YouTubes in that fabulous Library of Congress um, interview or speech uh, that I saw you do. But uh, do get onto her brand-new book, which is This chair rocks a manifesto against ageism and ashton applewhite if uh, there's any voting and we can vote uh, we vote for you absolutely a one
1: thank you my pleasure